In Daniel chapter 6, in the famous Lion's Den story, we learn that Daniel is a man of prayer. But did you ever wonder what he prayed? In Daniel 9, we're going to see this incredible prayer where he cries out to God for the nation of Israel. You know, as I look at our nation, I know if you're like me, we are praying for our nation, praying for revival, praying that the Lord would be at the center of what we do and how we live. Well, we're going to see Daniel's prayer and see what we can learn about our own prayer lives today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Here's the promise, the warning, the amount of years, the reason for the captivity, God's discipline. Turn over to Jeremiah 29. Here's what he continues to say through his prophet. Jeremiah 29, verse 10. Jeremiah 29, verse 10 says, Thus says the Lord, When 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. Now that's what Daniel is discovering as he studies the scroll. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. I know Jeremiah 29, 11 has become a very important verse to a lot of Christians. And even though the immediate context is God's promise to restore Israel, I do believe that the Lord can use this verse and apply it to us today. We have to be careful when we study Bible verses that we keep the immediate context in mind. However, I do think that God can take a promise that was made originally to Israel and have you own it for yourself today. And the way I would confirm that is I would take Jeremiah 29, 11 and compare it to other verses in the New Testament where the, there are other verses that confirm that God has good plans for us, that God is for us and not against us, that what he started in us, he will complete, that Jesus Christ is our hope, that one day we will rule and reign with the one who is our hope. So we have to be careful when we look at verses like this that we don't just, you know, try to force something or uh, apply it to us when it may not apply. But here I do believe that this can be ours. John Corson had an experience where he had lost, I believe it was his wife or daughter. And the Lord spoke Jeremiah 29, 11 to him. He didn't know the verse at the time, but it's something that God gave him in the moment. And I believe that God can do that as you're reading through the Old or New Testament. Sometimes you're reading and you might be struggling. You might even pray, Lord, I need a word from you. Would you speak to me? I need to hear from you. And you start, you know, some of you have done this whole thing where you, <laughs> some of you just say, wherever it falls open, Lord, that's, that's where we're going tonight. And then it says Judas went out and hung himself. And you don't, you, you want to be careful with that kind of stuff, right? We, so we have to be careful with the kind of thing. But I've even heard stories where someone did this and it was an amazing promise that uh, actually the, the Bible fell open to a very appropriate, applicable uh, promise. And so I, I don't doubt that God can work in those ways, but I would encourage you that you might want to read more than just doing this <laughs> every now and then, you know, become a student of the word. But... God says, these are the plans that I have for you. You may, you may wonder about my plans, especially, you know, thinking about where the nation was headed into, into captivity. But, but here's what I know about what I have for you. I don't always know what God has for me. 
Many, many times I'm in the dark. Any, anybody else out there? You know, there, there are a lot of us who, when we pray, we're saying, Lord, would you open up the heavens? Would you send a message? Could it be a text? You know, <laughs> double verified somehow. But, but God teaches us to trust him in the times when we're waiting on him. But God gives this promise and he says, look, these are my plans. My plans are not to destroy you. My plans are for your ultimate welfare. That's something we all need to understand, that even when God does something painful, it's for our ultimate welfare. It's to give us a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, 12, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you what? When you search for me, with all your heart. You see, for Israel, that was the problem. They had a heart problem. You see, idolatry is not so much about a statue or a thing or whatever it may be. Idolatry, please hear me well, is a heart issue. Ultimately, what God wants is your heart, amen? Your heart in Hebrew thought is the center of who you are. It's all that you are. It's the center of your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect. That's what God wants. God wants you to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And if your heart becomes a factory for idolatry, if your heart is constantly drawn away, which was what happened to Israel, they had stumbled over their idols in their hearts, says the book of Ezekiel then God will do something to get a hold of your heart. I mean, think about your relationships. What do you really want from the ones that you love the most? You want what? You want their heart. You want to know that they, they love you from the heart of who they are, and that's the way you want your love to be for others. And that's right where God works. God is not in the business of working from the outside in. He's in the business of working from the inside out. He knows if he works here, then the rest of the stuff will what? It will take care of itself. That's why he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. See, the issue is the issue of the heart. And I will be found by you when you call upon me. Look at verse 14, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes, will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Now, Jeremiah clarifies that God was behind the Babylonian captivity. God did what he did because of the idolatry of his people. And so he did a work. Uh, if you flip back to Jeremiah 25 for a second, look at verse 5, we get a little bit more <clears throat> insight. Verse 4 says, He sent to you all his servants, 25.4, the prophets again and again, but you have not listened or inclined your ear to hear, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds. Dwell on the land which the Lord God has given to you and your forefathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and to worship them and do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands and I will do you no harm. This is what we've seen. <clears throat> we have seen that 
The Lord did what he did because his people had gone astray in their hearts. So this is, this is what God is doing in us. In fact, idolatry is a very contemporary issue. Just so you understand, idolatry applies to today. Little children, guard yourselves from idols is the last verse of 1 John, written at the end of the first century. Idolatry was contemporary to the early church, and it is contemporary to a Western church in a very affluent society. Would you agree? In fact, I would argue that it's probably our major battle is to not put things alongside God in terms of them being equal to him or things above God. And it's a constant battle for all of us to keep God in our lives. Look, he doesn't change his nature or who he is because of my daily habits. Don't, I want you to have that straight. He's on his throne no matter what I do on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. But in terms of my relationship with him, that's what we're talking about. Whether I've decided to make him Lord of my life on a Wednesday night or a Thursday morning or a Saturday night, that's what you have to decide. You have to decide if he's really your Lord. Jesus said, you can't serve two Lords. It just doesn't work. Now, because Daniel had been taken in the first wave of captivity around 606 B.C., and because we know that this prayer happens around 538, 539 B.C., we know from a time standpoint that Daniel could say as he prays, we've been in Babylonian captivity for about 68 years. Now, you don't have to be a mathematician to know that if Daniel just simply does a little quick mathematics, he knows that there's about a couple years of captivity left. And then they're going to be able to go back. And so knowing what he knows informed from the word of God, now he can pray a prayer that's very informed. Oh, Lord, this is what you said you were going to do. Daniel's prayer does not change the 70 years. Amen. It's like I've heard people say, if you turn back to the book of Daniel, we're going to have a we're going to have a Pentecost night or the church prayed. And that's why Pentecost happened. no. I have to say, Pentecost happened on Pentecost. It was already fixed in God's calendar. Pentecost was an ancient feast of the Jewish people. It happened at a certain time of the year, on a certain date, and all God did was get the church ready for his calendar. It wasn't the church saying, Lord, this is our calendar, so would you get on board? No, 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 no. It was God saying, this is my calendar, so I've positioned you to be ready to receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church on the day of Pentecost. Everybody with me? That's why this is so appropriate to prayer, because prayer is getting in concert with the will of God. It is not trying to get God to do something for me. Now, God is gracious, and I do believe he does respond to our prayers, but we have to be careful when we're praying, that we're seeking his will. Now look at verse three in Daniel nine. This is why you could tell that it's going to take us a couple Bible studies. So what did Daniel do? He, he made this discovery about the 70 years, end of verse two. And so he says, I gave my attention to the Lord God. Uh, New King James says, I set my face toward the Lord God. To seek him, when you set your face, when you seek the face of God, 
you are seeking Him. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first... We are entering the holiday season, and more specifically, Thanksgiving, which reminds us of a time of harvest. The Book of Ruth is a tiny gem in scriptures. Its story goes much deeper than we see on the surface. It's a story of loving kindness, hope, and redemption. Naomi and Ruth face some of life's biggest challenges, and Boaz becomes their redeemer. Looking deeper, the lady's story is our story, and Boaz is a picture of our ultimate redeemer. Jesus Christ. This book will give you hope through the toughest seasons and lead you back to the answer, our God, who is filled with loving kindness and is our hope. For your donation of $20 or more, we would like to give you a copy of the CD set or DVD by Pastor Michael Lance, Ruth, the Lord of the Harvest. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. Prayer is getting in concert with the will of God. It is not trying to get God to do something for me. Now, God is gracious, and I do believe he does respond to our prayers, but we have to be careful when we're praying that we're seeking his will. Now, look at verse 3 in Daniel 9. This is why you could tell that it's going to take us a couple Bible studies. So what did Daniel do? He, he made this discovery about the 70 years End of verse two. And so he says, I gave my attention to the Lord God. Uh, New King James says, I set my face toward the Lord God to seek him. When you set your face, when you seek the face of God, you are seeking him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. Now, when he made the discovery in the word of God, he he turned himself to the face of God. So that's what I've seen a lot in my own devotional life, usually moving from the word of God to prayer, or sometimes it can be the other way around. Sometimes I pray and I don't necessarily always have an open Bible. But my point is this. He made a discovery in the Bible and then went to prayer. And I think that's a pretty good model to follow. And he began to seek the face of God. How do you seek the face of God? Anybody know? I mean, what does that look like? I'll tell you, uh, there was a a moment for me some years ago where I was laying in my bed and uh, I was just simply saying something like this. Lord, I want to know you. And right now, I want to put everything else aside and I'm just going to seek your face. Have you ever noticed that when you do that, some crazy thoughts come into your mind and heart. It's like the moment you decide to get serious about prayer, in 30 seconds, you could be, you're way over here. You've, got, you've taken a right on, onto some weird street. And you're like, how did my thoughts get over here? I was just praying 30 seconds ago. Look, if that happens to you, you're not alone. To seek the face of God is to concentrate on God. It's to try to set aside all the other distractions. That's why I think Jesus said, go into a private room and pray. There's nothing wrong with praying in public. I do it all the time. I don't think it's sinful to pray in public. It all has to do with your motive. Everybody with me? When Jesus says, don't pray like the hypocrites pray, remember, he's talking about hypocrites. 
So we can't say, oh, if the church prays out at the cross and people see us, oh, we've broken Matthew 6. No, 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 no. Jesus even prayed in the open public and lifted his eyes up to heaven and said, Father, and he began to pray. And so he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look, there's nothing wrong with praying in public, but the issue is your motive. You don't want to be like a hypocrite when you pray. You don't want to do it just for men to see how righteous you are, right? You don't want to just bring long-winded prayers just for the sake of long-winded. It's about your motive. Of course, a hypocrite is an actor. So if we're a genuine Christian, we're not being an actor or an actress. But to seek the face of God is to focus on God. It should be a no-brainer, I know. But when we pray, God is supposed to be our focus. You mean not me when I pray? You see, in a very humanistic society and a very man-centered gospel that has emerged into the church, it seems like many prayers are man-centered instead of God-centered. You know, prayer is essentially to have your mind centered on God. That should be kind of a 101 thought, but I need to hear that because sometimes I can go down my laundry list of prayers and I'm not sure how much quality time I actually spent with the Lord seeking his face and his will, amen? So sometimes our prayers just need to simply be, Lord, I'm just seeking your face. So that night when I was on my bed and um, that's the one time in my life I can genuinely say something supernatural in terms of what I would call a gift of language came to me. And I know there's all these questions about prayer language and the gift of tongues. Um, and, and I'm in the camp that believes those gifts are for today, but they need to be biblically informed and led by the Spirit and under the leadership of um, the elders and so forth. But here's what I would say. Something came and it was, it was in my mind that was not from me. And it was so other than me, it kind of freaked me out. <laughs> and I was on my bed, I was like, whoa, whoa, who, it kind of, and I don't even know really what it was about. But I just know this, I was just seeking the face of God. And maybe it was God's way of just saying, Michael, I hear you. Good. You see, that's what I think God wants is he wants us to seek him with, what did we read? With all of our hearts. See, God wants to do special supernatural stuff in our lives, but he wants our attention. Look at verse three. To, to pray and seek God's face is to give your attention. How many, how many people in our society are doing things for attention today? right? Uh, some of the biggest longings of our own hearts are for attention. And people oftentimes will get attention through unhealthy means because they are, are longing for attention. God doesn't need it, but God wants us to commune with him because he loves us, which is amazing, and because he knows the value when we spend time with him. So I sought him by prayer. You can, do, you can also seek God by music or worship. Um, you can seek God in the scriptures and commune with him. But here he says, I turn my attention through prayer 
Supplication, with, which is another way of saying to uh, pray for others, to supplicate for others. That's that word, to uh, be an intercessor. With fasting, I think everybody knows what fasting is. Sackcloth, which is a garment of camel's hair, uh, which is very coarse and uncomfortable. Prophets would use it when they prophesied. They would wear it. John the Baptist wore something like this uh, as a sign uh, of, of a call to repentance and so forth. And ashes, which is a sign of mourning. They would put ashes on their head when somebody died or something terrible happened. And so it's like Daniel took all the implements of things that you could do when you pray to kind of assist. He fasted, he put on sackcloth and ashes. He was serious. Some people say, does God hear us more when we fast? Well, it depends. It depends on why you're fasting. <laughs> if you think, you know what, I want to get more spiritual and I need to drop five pounds. What's the order there? You want to drop five pounds and get spiritual or you want to get spiritual and drop five pounds? Anyway. You see, prayer can restore a dry and listless life. When you get serious about prayer, God starts doing amazing things. And prayer helps me to care more. I heard a story about a young pastor who was preparing a sermon. In his study, there was a knock on his door. Someone told him that a child had been hit by a car in front of the church. He was informed that the ambulance was there and the child was getting help. He looked up and he said he would be right out after he finished this thought. His secretary came to the door and announced that it was his own daughter that had been hit by the car. The pastor jumped up from the desk and ran to the street. You see, our identity with the need how we identify with the need makes all the difference on how we pray. Have you ever noticed? You hear about a prayer request that comes down the prayer chain. And look, we're all human, so I'm preaching to myself here. I want you to know that. But sometimes, you know, we can get to the 23rd prayer request and we're like, oh, Lord. Okay, Lord, just heal the entire world. Everybody's in trouble, <laughs> right? But then, let's just say that you got a phone call that a relative or someone really close to you is in the hospital. Or you go, or that hospital visit you go on now is your loved one in that bed. Now you pray with a different fervency. And see, Hebrews 13, 3 says that we should remember those in prison as if we were fellow prisoners. Those who are mis mistreated as though we were suffering. But it's, it's pretty easy to disconnect from other sufferings. And so I know some of you are interested in fasting and how all of that is done and what, what the deal is, I would like to just give you a few verses to take a look at the reasons behind fasting. And uh, I would take you, to first of all, to the book of Ezra. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, and then the Psalms. So go to Ezra chapter 8. I want, I want to just show you a couple of verses uh, as to why someone would fast because I know some of you have brought me questions about that. There was only one um, holiday in ancient Israel where there was a mandatory fast and it was the Day of Atonement. It was literally called the fast. Outside of that day, there was no mandatory fasting in Israel. 
the scribes and Pharisees fasted twice a week, but even their fasting didn't seem to be always for righteous reasons. And there are people in our modern time that fast. Jesus fasted while he was out in the wilderness, right, for a, quite a long time as he was uh, compelled by the Spirit to go out and fast. And I do think that fasting is appropriate at times, but it needs to be Spirit-led and informed by Scripture. There may be a season of your life where you're praying for somebody, a situation specifically, and maybe you just fast for a meal. Maybe you skip breakfast and you take that time where you would have eaten to read your Bible and pray. Hey guys, it's incredible that we're entering the holiday season now, coming up on Thanksgiving. It really makes you think of the time of the harvest. And we have a wonderful product to offer to you as a thank you for a donation of $20 or more to the ongoing ministry of Walk in Truth. It's called Lord of the Harvest. It's a teaching through the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, the story of Ruth, is more than just what you see on the surface. It's really a story of loving kindness, hope, and redemption as Naomi and Ruth face some of life's biggest challenges but meet a kinsman redeemer named Boaz. When we look a little deeper, their story is our story, and Boaz is a picture of our ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. I would love to get this product into your hands. Go to our website at walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. And we'll get this product in your hands. And for a donation of $20 or more, you'll be helping us reach more people and reach out with God's truth this holiday season. We appreciate it. We love you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.